Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you have found your way to This Week in the Word. Today, we're looking at Hope for Hard Times, Episode 18, Dealing with the Devil. This is the episode for Sunday, November 5th, 2023. Well, when we think about the idea of dealing with the devil, I have two words of advice. For non-Christians who may be listening, my advice is don't. (laughs) For Christians who are listening, my advice is do. Well, that's crazy. Those are contradictory. No, not really. Actually, what I just said is correct. I'm going to show non-Christians what you need to do when faced with the devil. But I'm also going to show Christians what you are to do in dealing with the devil, and it's two different things, at least initially. Once you become a Christian, then you will deal with the devil. (laughs) All right, here's a major source of suffering for sure, is the devil and his demons working directly against us and working deceptively against us through the world system, through people, through problems, and persecution. We've kind of mentioned this already several times in this series, but if you're new today, just know that the devil, he is the source of a lot of what we go through. Some things we kind of bring on ourselves, but he's a source of just about everything, really, that we go through. He works with his demons They work together directly against us sometimes, but they're always at work kind of on the sly, underneath the radar against us through the world in which we live, through the people around us, sometimes the people closest to us, through problems we go through, and obviously through persecution and suffering. Now I want you to know something. What we're going to see today in just a few minutes that Peter's going to write to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 5, the last half of that chapter, he writes from his own experience. If you will read Matthew 26, Matthew 14, excuse me, Mark 14, so Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke chapter 22, you will see what Peter went through when he just had an awful time in dealing with the devil and he lost about every way you could imagine losing. Yes, the apostle Peter, the leader of the apostles, really went through it. And so what he's going to write to us as God speaks through him is not theoretical. It was very real in Peter's case. Now, What I'm talking about is in that week of time in the Gospels where an official entrance into Jerusalem was made by the Lord Jesus Christ presenting himself officially to the Jewish people as their true Messiah, listen to this, on the exact day that Daniel prophesied that he would come. And Peter rejoiced in that, I'm sure. And on the night of the Last Supper, that was a very 
high moment for the disciples and the Lord Jesus Christ, though a very somber one, it has some very wonderful aspects as well. But Peter experienced crushing humility and defeat as he failed to watch and pray in the garden as the Lord told him to do. And then he denied that he even knew who Jesus Christ was in the courtyard. You remember that? He was hiding from the Jewish authorities after the crucifixion and burial of Christ and was in denial about the resurrection of Jesus. Very slow to believe. And he had a hard time viewing the resurrection as a real event until he he met the Lord himself. And then even after meeting the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, because of his, I'm sure his shame and humiliation of how he had behaved during all of this, he appears at least to some degree to have abandoned, or let's just be fair, maybe he put on hold the call of Christ prior to his restoration by Jesus Christ as a leader of the apostles you know, prior to the Lord's ascension back to heaven. It's a, it's a very painful record that, uh, of the experience of Peter, and the devil was behind a lot of this that Peter went through according to our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a question. If a man called Peter could be trucked like that by the devil, then how can we even stand a chance dealing with the devil? Huh? Answer me that question. You're probably wondering the same thing right now. Well, we're going we're gonna to break that down in 1 Peter 5. But before we break down 1 Peter 5, the last half of that chapter, about tactics for dealing with the devil, here is the overarching strategy for dealing with the devil for Christians. Now again, if you're not a Christian yet, you will not be able to do this yet. But once you become a Christian, you will be able to, to move within these, um, these truths. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, don't look there, just listen. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's often said among Christians, because it's based on several passages of Scripture, that Christians face on this earth three enemies. The world, that is like the world system that is stacked against God and against those who love the Lord. So we, we have an enemy in the world, we have an enemy in the flesh, that is this enemy that lives within us that's constantly trying to betray us and lead us into sin, and we all know what that's like. So the world, the flesh, and then the devil, literally the devil. Listen to me. If you think the devil is some comic book character and not real, man, you are a walking advertisement for how successful Satan has been. <laughs> the the ultimate way to win over your enemy is to make them think you're not even there. And and you you have fallen into that trap. Satan, Lucifer, the devil, 
the serpent is real. Jesus Christ says so. Peter says so. The apostles in their preaching and writing say so. So we face the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, here's something else you need to know as well if you're a Christian. Only God is God. The devil is only a created being who's in rebellion against his creator, God. The devil, listen, the devil is not equal to God. He tries to make people think he is, but he's not. And he's truly hideous since he rebelled against God and he fell. Yet he can appear, if he needs to or wants to, as an angel of light. How could that be untrue? How could that be wrong? An angel told me. Well, if it went against the word of God, it was Satan, all right? How do we know this? Did I just make that up? Nope. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So uh, that's definitely possible. Now, here's something else you need to know. The devil leads a vast army of millions of angels that rebelled with him against God in heaven, and they operate in a global network in the spiritual realm to oppose God's purposes and attack God's people. Now, something else you need to know, especially if you're a non-Christian, you might be thinking right now, well, I sure, you know, sure hope I don't run into the devil. He might get me. Well, uh, he already has all non-Christians, and that includes you if you're not a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? If you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're really born again. You're a real Christian. He can't get you. That is like, take you to hell. He can't do that to you. That's impossible. Can he attack you and oppose you and discourage you and try to hinder you? Oh yeah, he can do that, but you can resist it. But listen, if you're a non-Christian, you're already sunk. You need to repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ before you can't do that. But he can't get Christians. Now, the devil also is not omnipotent. That's just a big word that means he's not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful. Only God is omnipotent. And the devil is also not omnipresent. That means, you know how we know that the Lord is everywhere at all times? We can't do that, but that's no problem for God but the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. He operates through this spy network, if you want to think of it like that, this this, uh, invisible army of fallen rebellious angels, and it's like an intelligence network. He's not everywhere, but he has his eyes and ears (laughs) in terms of those angels who rebelled with him, And it's just a gigantic intelligence network aimed at the people of God and against the purposes of God. But in spite of that network and all the demons, and by the way, 
we believe from Scripture and the writings of the, I believe, the church fathers, one of the church fathers, it appears that even though Satan and a good number of angels rebelled with him as they followed Lucifer, Satan, in this rebellion, that it was a third of the angels, we believe. But you know what? That means two-thirds (laughs) twice as many remain loyal to God and are working on our behalf for God's purposes and God's plans for us in this world, twice as many as those that rebelled with Satan. That's good news. But listen, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the serpent can be resisted. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We are never told to flee from Satan, ever. We are to resist him. Now we are to flee from sins and that's said in the New Testament But when we are confronted directly with the devil, we are to resist him, as we'll see today, in the faith, and he will flee from you. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his earthly ministry was confronted by Satan in the wilderness, and Satan tried three different ways to try to to have the Lord Jesus Christ follow him. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ resisted the devil. And the way he did that was with the word of God. You remember that? Absolutely. In Ephesians 6, 11, we read there, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now listen, for Christians, we fight in faith, not in fear, The devil is already a defeated foe upon whom we enforce the Lord's victory and his defeat. Here's a major mistake that we make, though, many times as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We assume because of the sovereignty of God that there is no responsibility of man. That is a major mistake. Sometimes you hear Christians say this phrase, and if you're sort of new as a Christian, maybe you haven't heard it yet, but you will. (laughs) This is the phrase, just let go and let God. I know what people originally meant when they said that, and I understand that, but the attitude has kind of become, hey, just let go and let God, and just like, Tune out, God will handle everything. Listen, it's not let go and let God, it's take hold with God. Do you understand the difference in that? I mean, we are to do what God tells us to do and only God can do what only he can do, right? But he tells us some things that we are to do. Listen, hear me well. Man must do what God commands man to do in dependence upon what only God can do. Let me give you an example. This is not complex. Don't don't get tripped up theologically like, oh boy, one day when I've been a Christian 26 years, 
I'll understand this. It's not difficult. Listen, God promises to provide our daily needs, correct? Yes. God will provide our daily needs and we must work on a daily basis as God commands us to do, right? I mean, that's clear as can be. In fact, in one passage in the New Testament, when there were Christians starting to just lay around and not work and say, well, we're just waiting on the Lord. And that sounded really spiritual, didn't it? You know what God told Paul to tell them? If any man will not work, neither shall he eat. Boom, there it is. <laughs> God will provide our daily needs and we must work on a daily basis because that's what he tells us to do. Both are true. Listen, we are not to fear the devil, but we are to fight the devil. And not in our own strength, it's in his strength. We are not to worry and fear, but we are to war in faith. Listen, in his great book, by the way, here's a tip for you, write this down. There's a, he's not really that far back, but some of you say, wow, that's agent. He wrote books and uh, preached a lot in the 70s and 80s and 90s. He may still be writing and preaching, I'm not sure. But a, a great Christian pastor named Warren Wearsby, Warren Wearsby, he had a series of books called the B series, like B-E, and one of them, a book is entitled Be Hopeful. I think that's a book on 1 Thessalonians. I think I'm right on that. But anyway, in his book, Be Hopeful, Warren Wearsby said in the pages uh, 138 to 139, he said basically, in, in it may have even been in 1 Peter 5. I'm not sure, but anyway, whatever book that's related to. He said, when we think of the devil... We're to respect him. We are to recognize him, like who he is and what he's up to. And we're to resist him. Pretty simple stuff right there. But we are to do it. We are not to run from him. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek, New Testament Greek scholar at Southern Seminary in the 1800s and early 1900s said this, Cowardice never wins against the devil, but only courage. Write that down. I'll say it one more time. That was so good. A.T. Robertson said this. I think it was in um, his book on the uh, general epistles. It could have even been in his series on uh, uh, word pictures in the New Testament. A.T. Robertson said, Cowardice never wins against the devil, but only courage. All right, let's go to 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 14. Peter writes here, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, who is this? Well, where he's identified as the devil in that verse, diabolos. We get our word slander from that Greek word, the devil. 
what are we told that we are to, how are we to respond to him? First of all, we're to be sober. When a person is sober, the idea of the New Testament Greek word here is that you and I are to have a calm, steady mind. Let me put it in our terms today. We are not to freak out when we think we're being opposed by the devil or his demonic forces. It's just a fact. We are. Okay, I'm in war. I'm not going to lose my mind. I'm going to do what a soldier is supposed to do. Just follow my training, right? Be sober. That's just a calm, steady, you know, serious mindset. Be sober. Be vigilant. By the way, both of these words, be sober, be vigilant, are commands, and we're supposed to do them right now. Like, okay, well, I'll think about it. No, we're supposed to do it now. Be sober, be vigilant. We don't have a choice. We're ordered to do this. Be sober, be vigilant. What does that word vigilant means? Well, well, what does it mean? Well, it comes from uh, also, you guessed it, a Greek word. <laughs> be sober, be vigilant. That means to be alert. That is, don't go to sleep in a foxhole. Don't go to sleep on guard duty. You know, it was said by the Marines who did the island hopping campaign throughout the South Pacific in World War II. They knew that the Japanese soldiers would creep across the battlefield under the cover of night and kill them in their trenches and their foxholes and they dared not go to sleep. They kept each other awake so that they could get the enemy before the enemy got then. And more than one soldier or Marine was found to have been killed in his sleep because they did not remain awake, attuned and attended to the approach of the enemy. Be sober, be vigilant. It has the idea of be roused from sleep and wake up. Be sober, be vigilant. Why do I have to do that, Pastor Ed? I'll give you a good reason. Because your adversary, this word adversary has come to mean in our terms, enemy. Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, that slanderer, as a roaring lion. He's hungry. He's looking for someone to eat, and it might as well be you or me. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. He is, that means he's prowling around. He's relentless in his search. He's habitually seeking. That's the the, uh, the Greek meaning of that word seeking there. He's just, he's just always doing this. And you know, if, if you're awake and it's not you, he's looking for somebody else. If they're awake and it's not them, he's coming back to you. He never gives up. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word means whom he may gulp down. 
That's a frightening thought, isn't it? I think we should stay awake, don't you? Yeah, because we want to be alert to his approach. But I've got good news for you there, because when we think about because your adversary, the devil, is roaring lion, walking about, singing whom he may devour, praise God, our advocate is greater than our adversary. Amen. Jesus Christ is greater than Satan, the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Verse 9. So, okay, we pretty much realize, yeah, this is scary. Well, it could be, but don't be, okay? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a whirring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Here we are, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So what you're going through, if you're saying, Pastor Ed, I, I think I'm being singled out by Satan. He's not bothering anybody else, but he's coming after me. Hey, it's happening to everybody, especially nowadays. It's, it's not unique. It's common, actually. Why? Because when you became a Christian, you put on the uniform of the enemy army as far as Satan's concerned. So... He wants to try to oppose you. So what are we to do? Whom resist? Antistiti. It means to stand against. Doesn't mean to run away and cower in fear. It means to, to take the courage that we have in Christ and stand against the devil. Whom resist? Steadfast in the faith. This is a a definite act. And, it, and by the way, I, I don't think we, we probably don't just do this once in our Christian life. We may do it last week. You know, it's like the fight died down and we realize, wow, I'm right back in it this week. Do it again. Stand against him. Keep standing against him. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. This means be firm, unbending, hard about staying true to the faith. So what does this mean, whom resists steadfast in the faith? Well, I, I think a, a way you can think of this is in the word of God. That's how Jesus answered the devil when he came to him the three times in the wilderness. And if you're a Christian, you've heard this before, and I'm not going to go through all of it before, but you can, uh, again, but you can read it in the Gospels, and you should read it. The Lord Jesus Christ responded to those attacks, those temptations with the word of God. Hey, here's a great Bible verse you should learn. And I think I quote it many times a day, certainly many times a week. Psalm 56, 3. I think I've got this right. Look it up and check me out. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Amen. It doesn't mean that you might not feel fear or be, be concerned, but what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Psalm 56, 3. Check me out, see if I quoted that correctly. So we're told here, whom resist, 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, that means God will help us, right? But the God of all grace who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You're going to be stronger in your walk for the Lord Jesus Christ after you go through something. I heard a a coach, it was a football coach, say once, um, or a player said, if you don't go through nothing, you won't be nothing. How about that? So when you go through this experience, as all believers do, you will be stronger and stronger and more more established and settled and strengthened and mature in Christ for having gone through it. It's sort of like that saying we hear a lot, what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger, right? Same idea. And, And we had that before anybody made up that saying in the world. Don't fear the devil. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And just know the God of all grace, he's, he's with you in this. He will help you. And we're on our way to eternal glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. So like the apostle Paul said, what, you know, whatever we can go through, I'm vastly paraphrasing this, whatever we could go through down here, no matter how bad it is, it doesn't even compare with the glory and the, the, just the wonder and the blessing that we will enjoy eternally in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? That's for sure. So that should lead us to verse 11, where we actually praise the Lord. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That word amen is a Greek word, and it means, uh, it's a amen. Uh, let it be, so let it be, may it be so. Now, verse 12 says, you know, Peter wrote this. Peter was inspired and and said it, but he had a writer, and we believe it was uh, Silas, most likely, but the other way his name is said is Silvanus. Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Hear that train in the background. It reminds me, time is short, amen? You're either on the Jesus train or you're not. And if you're not, you need to get on it. That's what you need to do if you're a non-Christian. Listen, verse 13 and 14, close out 1 Peter. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. So this was most likely John Mark, not his literal biological son, but his son in the faith. And we believe that Peter uh, had Mark write down his gospel of Mark, which was basically, you could also call that the gospel of Peter. 
Now, by the way, let me teach you a little way to help understand the Bible more easily. Theologians get all twisted into a pretzel about, well, Peter probably wrote this from Rome, and Babylon was code language for Rome because blah, 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 you know, about the Roman Empire, and he didn't want to, uh, you know, be found out or whatever. Hey, listen, the easiest way initially to understand the Bible is when it says something, just take it like it says. John Phillips, the great uh, teacher and writer, used to say, not original with him, but he used to say this a lot, when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. I believe that Peter wrote this from Babylon where there was a very large Jewish community that did, that were went there in the captivity but never went back to Jerusalem. So the simplest way to read this is that Peter is at Babylon ministering, and that's where he wrote it from. And by the way, there is zero, let me say this again, there's zero evidence in the Bible to even suggest that Peter ever even visited Rome. Did you know that? But, but, but what about the claim that Peter was the first pope and all that? Well, that's quite a claim, but there's no evidence in the New Testament that Peter ever visited Rome. Chew on that a while. The church that is at Babylon elected together, that is chosen you know, by God together with you, just like you and I are chosen by God and saved, so was the, the Christian community, the church that Peter ministered to at Babylon. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We have completed the book of First Peter. But we're still, next week, going to be in our series, Hope for Hard Times, because not only is suffering and, and also persecution, not only are they things that can make times harder, and we got to get through them in Christ, but so can false teachers and false doctrine in the church. And that's what the letter of Second Peter centers around. So, I want to just encourage you, if I'm still here, that is, I haven't died on my own, been killed, or been raptured, if I'm still around next weekend, I will be recording episode 19 of Hope for Hard Times, and I want to invite you to continue with us, and if you've never done this before, I want you to follow the podcast right now, wherever you're listening. You can like this episode, and I want you to be a missionary. I want you to share this episode with someone who needs to hear this particular episode, and they will thank you. Maybe they're going through it right now, and they need encouragement. What a simple way to encourage them. Now, for all of you who may not be Christians yet, you're thinking about it, you're not sure, you're rejecting it, whatever, I want you to write down a phone number. I'm going to say it twice. 
388-288-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. Call that number and someone will show you how to place your faith, <coughs> excuse me, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're a new Christian, how to begin to grow in your new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If I'm still here, I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.